Good morning, Pine Lake Covenant friends. Here I am back to recording my sermon in my home office. It's kind of where I started in this interim role and I'm back to it. But I'm privileged to be with you um, to share God's word on this Sunday and to know that God's word will continue no matter who's here preaching. So before I begin, let's, let's pray together. Lord, you've given us the gift of yourself. In this Christmas, we've honored this incarnation that you are with us. And we thank you that now through your word and through your spirit, you continue to move. You continue to impact people with the good news of who you are and why you've come. And may that be evident this day as we look at your word and tell your story and hear it again. Move Holy Spirit as only you can. I pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. So I have a question for you as we get started today. Have you ever met someone who's famous? Been up close to somebody famous? We often think of that in terms of um, movie celebrities or sports celebrities. I'm thinking now of political um, famous people. Uh, my claim to fame, here's mine. At my college graduation, our speaker was the governor of Illinois, James Thompson. He had just started his governorship and ended up serving the longest of any Illinois governor, which is quite a statement if you look at the records of some of those governors. Anyway, there he was speaking at our um, commencement exercises, and we've got some pictures with him, my claim to fame. You may have your own um, things that come to mind of seeing someone famous, going to see a political a candidate, watching a motor motorcade go by that was for a famous person. We tend to want to get up close to people who have power and prestige. We want to tell others, I got to see this person, I got to shake their hand. It's always kind of part of make makes us feel more significant you know because fame and power they have a profound impact on our behavior we we want to put our best selves forward if we're going to be seen next to someone famous now i would say that's usually just a harmless claim of proximity to fame but there are times there are times when we try to use connections to power, connections to fame, to get what we want, to move things forward in our favor. In this Advent season, we've been in this series called Arrival. At Christmas, where we celebrate the arrival of the most significant, most famous, most powerful human in all of history. And our remember verse during this series has has been a, a pointed way to think of it. The kingdom of God has come near to you. This is a real kingdom with a real king that has arrived. And yet this king came on the outskirts of the powerful and famous people of his day. It's in the visit of the Magi that we get a really powerful hint that this birth was going to shake up the structures of power and fame. Not just in that day, but forever. Because when God's kingdom comes near, it will always reshape our view of power and prestige. So our text today is from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 2. You feel free to open a Bible to read it along with me. I'm going to read a couple of the verses as we go through this text, beginning in verse 1. 
After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed and all Jerusalem with him. These king, uh, magi, or or wise people as we like to call them, had traveled for quite a while. They had been noticing from long ago in their country and observing this unique star that had risen that signified this royal birth. And so when they deduced that a royal personage was going to be born, they headed, of course, to the place of power in that day. They went to Jerusalem the place where the king reigned, the place where Herod's temple had been built and the religious establishment was there. This is the place you would expect to go if you were looking for an influential ruler. And the text says King Herod was disturbed by this news, more than disturbed as we'll find out. This was a threat to his power. If you know anything about Herod, he was was a ruthless king. He did off, did off with his own family members in order to maintain control. So, of course, the news of a rival king was alarming to him. That's usually the case with people in power when they're confronted by a competitor. They ratchet up their control. They devise all kinds of schemes so they don't lose their place of prestige, their power over others. And Herod wasn't the only one who was disturbed by this news. It says that all of Jerusalem, the other governing leaders, and most likely the religious leaders as well, they were troubled by this news of a new king. Now Herod's smart enough to check in with these religious leaders to see if there's any clue about what a king being born. And they take him to the prophecy in Micah, which talks about Bethlehem being the birthplace of this king. And so Herod hears this and he feigns interest in this new king. We read about it again in verses 7 and 8. Then Herod called the Magi secretly. I find that interesting because power, especially selfish power, usually functions in secrecy. Anyway, he called them secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go, And search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me, so that I too may go and worship him. Sincere-sounding words. But King, King Herod, his kingdom was built on maintaining power and privilege. And so his feigned desire to go and visit this new child king was just a ploy for him to get to that king, to destroy any rival to his rule. That's how it is with those in positions of power, without any concern for others. They're always looking for a way to maintain their rule. Now verses 9 through 11 says this, After they, the Magi, had heard the king, they went on their way, and the star they had seen when it rose went ahead of them, until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures. 
and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. The Magi kept pursuing their goal of honoring this new king. Did they really know much about the promised Messiah that was going to come through the uh, Hebrew people? Were they God-fearers who were longing for God's presence in their own lives? We don't know for sure from the story. But we do hear about their joy at seeing the star again and their humble worship before the child Jesus, pointing to the welcoming of a new kind of world, a new type of king, a new type of kingdom that was so different from the politics of their day. You know, God's kingdom can't ultimately be threatened by any scheme and not the schemes of Herod. Through stars, through dreams, God brings the kingdom near to those who are paying attention to the Magi. You see, Jesus came to establish a new kind of kingdom, not just for Israel, but for the entire world. And Matthew's inclusion of this story about Magi from the East coming, foreign dignitaries looking for a king, is just a foretaste of the way that the kingdom of God is going to be expanded to all the world, to all people who would pay attention. That's what this, our remember verse is. I hope you can say this with me, even as you're listening. The kingdom of God has come near to you, has come near to these foreign visitors, has come near to us. You know, when God's kingdom came near to Herod, he couldn't bow in reverent awe. He was so enamored by his own power that he went to extreme lengths to eliminate any threat. And we just see the same thing around us today. When God's kingdom came near the Magi, they went. They pursued it. They went to seek more answers. And they came with gifts and humble worship to a king unlike anything they had ever imagined. And what about us? How do we respond when God's kingdom comes near us? I think this is a good question for us in this Christmas season as we look back at the Christmas story and look ahead to a new year. Because Jesus didn't come to set up a system of fame and power and privilege, of ownership and control. We see it in Jesus' first arrival. It was on the edges of society. And his kingdom's message was shared most fully with those who really had no power whatsoever. Think of it. The all-powerful creator and sustainer of the universe chose to give up his rightful power so he could come near to us. When God's kingdom comes near, we see servanthood and grace. We witness the outcasts brought in the disenfranchised embraced. In Jesus' kingdom, it is the poor in spirit who are honored, the meek who inherit, the hungry ones who find satisfaction, the merciful who find solace. So what does that mean for you and I as we look ahead to a new year? If we have welcomed Jesus as king into our own lives, we may need to be ready for a shakeup of our perceived rights and a reordering of what's most important in our world. I think for our church, 
It calls for a readiness to walk in servanthood rather than prestige. We don't need to exert our influence by being impressive to our community. We are nearest God's kingdom when radical welcome is just our way of life. It calls for a willingness to let go of the privileges of our fancy east side lifestyles in order to pay attention to those on the margins. It may mean changing the way we do church so that those coming from other lands, like the Magi, those coming from other perspectives can find a place to offer their own gifts and their own worship. We walk in Jesus' kingdom ways when we acknowledge our own brokenness, our need for grace, and are honest about it. And then we will see God's kingdom advancing when we offer up our most extravagant possessions in honor of this new king. You know, this kingdom, it's impossible for us to build through our own efforts. You and I are just part of the kingdom of God, but we are invited in and it has come near to us. And in order to be a community that's shaped by Jesus' kingdom values, we walk in humility, honest vulnerability. We recognize it calls for sacrifice, for faithful stewardship of everything that's been entrusted to us. That's what LA and I are longing for as we step into new areas of ministry beyond Pine Lake Covenant Church. We would hope that all we have, all the gifts we've been entrusted with, would be offered in love to the one who gave everything for us. God's kingdom has come near, and it continues to come near in loving sacrifice. For the church, it means we often function outside the realm of fame and power that can so easily impress all of us. If you and I desire to be near God's kingdom, it calls for an emptying of personal power, prestige. But this emptying of our own selves, that's the place where we find truest joy and purpose. My prayer for me, for my husband and I, for Pine Lake Covenant Church, is that we would be people and places where the nearness of the kingdom is experienced. Not through fame, prestige, but through healing, through hope for all who would seek it. That's the truth. The kingdom of God has come near to us. And may we give this new king the royal welcome he deserves. May it be so. Let me pray for us. Lord, we thank you that you gave up power in order to come near to us. You showed us a new way to live into kingdom realities. And I pray that in this new year, this church would lean into those realities of sacrifice, of loving, humble worship, of honest vulnerability, so that all would have a place to come and worship you, to know the joy of your kingdom. We, we praise you, God, that we've been invited into something eternal. And we want to be part of seeing it advance in our day, in our communities, 
Lead us, we pray, through your spirit. In the name of Jesus, amen.